Hi, I'm John Mather, Nobel Prize Laureate and Senior Scientist for the James Webb Space Telescope at NASA, and you're listening to The Soul of Life. We had one person who came into a uh, group hypnosis session and actually believed they were going to lose 20 pounds in the session itself. Like they were going to walk out 20 pounds lighter. Today on The Soul of Life, I call in a hypnotist to help me keep my head in the game of tennis. I've got a match in, in about an hour and 20 minutes this afternoon. Taylor Sherman hypnotizes me and attempts to correct my lack of focus and energy drop that I sometimes experience in competitive play. Taylor performs hypnosis to help people change all sorts of habits. People know hypnosis for really three things, stopping smoking, losing weight, and reducing stress. And he specializes in using hypnosis for improving athletic performance. Golf is played on a five and a half inch course. It's the space between your ears. We talk about how hypnosis works in the brain. You find changes within the central executive network, also called the frontoparietal network, and you see that the default mode network is suppressed or decreased. The default mode network, or DMN, in the brain is a key part of our consciousness that we're just beginning to understand. And it's connected to the normal phenomena of mind wandering. Taylor and I scratched the surface this fascinating topic. But I'll have the chance to cover it in depth in a few weeks when I interview Jonathan Schooler, a professor of psychological and brain sciences, known for his work on the function of mind wandering. The people who do really well with hypnosis are those who take in the changes, noticing what worked, coming back and reporting and saying, hey, this is what worked really well. And where is hypnosis less effective? They're going to solve all of their challenges in their lives. It is a magic wand or a silver bullet. I think you'll get a kick out of seeing Taylor try to improve my tennis game. And you can follow right along as he uses a deep relaxation technique and guided imagery. That may also help you deepen your own sharpness and energy levels in your life. Welcome to the Soul of Life. I'm Keith Miller. This is episode 13 of season two, Hypnosis 101 with Taylor Sherman. It was for fun. It was for entertainment. It was just interesting. I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is The Soul of Life. Taylor Sherman is a board-certified hypnotist and certified instructor of hypnosis through the National Guild of Hypnotists. He is a certified trainer in humanistic neuro-linguistic psychology and has conducted over 6,000 hypnosis and coaching sessions, along with having instructed more than 40 hypnosis certification trainings and events. He's the managing director of Harmony Holistic, a mental health practice in Bethesda, Maryland. Taylor's journey in hypnosis has been an interesting one. He started learning hypnosis when he was just 16 years old, and it became a lifelong passion. Seeing mental processes being demonstrated in such a clear way fascinated him. He wanted to understand himself and others better. After learning the basics in a practice group, Taylor writes that he set out to hypnotize everyone he knew. He quickly found volunteers who wanted to stop smoking, lose weight, or release stress from their lives. And he quickly learned what worked and didn't. Taylor's here today on The Soul of Life to talk with me about hypnosis. We'll talk about the role of hypnosis in breaking bad habits, like addictions, or on the putting green. 
Taylor's a mindset hypnotist and a coach that works with executives along with those looking to see the world in a clearer way, and a sports hypnotist that works with talented athletes and competitors to achieve peak performance in their sports. Welcome, Taylor. How are you? Doing well. How are you today, Keith? I'm doing well. It's sunny here. Spring is here. So I think we're, we're beginning to feel the end of this, this long winter. Having a little bit more energy. That's always a good thing. I think so. I think so. Yeah, we're going to talk about energy today, I guess. We're going to talk about mental energy and focus and how that works in hypnosis. Um, we'll touch on some of the differences between hypnosis and maybe just typical psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the myths that are out there about you know, how it's perceived and maybe differences between some, some of the things out there like uh, EMDR or IFS, internal family systems therapies. Maybe to start off with, uh, can you tell me a little bit about, um, on the subject of hypnosis, what are some of these myths that you run into as far as how people perceive it when you, when people come to you or what, what are, what are the differences between how it gets portrayed and how it's actually practiced? Yeah, I think the biggest myth that people have about hypnosis is that it is a magic wand or a silver bullet. And so when people think about hypnosis, oftentimes there's this idea that the hypnotist is doing something to them and then it's instant. Okay, so the idea of any sort of gradual process, like forget it, right? Because they're going to solve all of their challenges in their lives. Like, you know, they've gone to so many professionals to try to solve various things. And all of a sudden they call up the hypnotist. And even though they had done a number of sessions with those other practitioners, the hypnotist has to do it in 30 minutes and they're not going to be conscious while it's happening. And they're just going to be completely numbed out. They're going to be like a zombie. And by the way, when they emerge from that state, no, they're, they're not going to emerge. They're going to wake up from that state. When they wake up, then they're not going to have any memory of anything that, that happens. And of course, all of these are myths. These are misconceptions, right? Um, you know, you're, you're fully aware, um, within a state of hypnosis. Sometimes you're even more aware. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you're even more present, more aware of the things that are going on. Um, you know, you have full memory and recollection of events, um, you know, that are, that are occurring. Um, but it is, a process that's a compounding process. So it, you know, it takes a person step by step through something. And, um, that kind of magic wand, silver bullet thinking really stops people in a lot of ways because it takes them to the point where it's, it's that same kind of thing where people say, well, okay, I've tried everything else to, let's say, reduce my weight, for example. And now what I want to do is go and buy the diet pill that I have no, sense of like why it would ever work, but I'm just going to take this because that's quick and I'm frustrated and I don't have any other options. Right. So you must hear this a lot. People come in sort of expecting a lot from it and, and you have to sort of set that expectation say, actually, no, you're, you are a participant in this and that's, that's a vital role of any sort of change process. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's that idea of this the sense of a person who kind of use themselves going about it more passively. But the people who do really well with hypnosis are those who take in the changes. They're, they're able to take everything that the hypnotist is saying, going out into the world, noticing what worked, coming back and reporting and saying, hey, this is what worked really well. Right. Maybe we can work a little bit on this area as well. Right. So good students, good learners, right? People who are curious or have that ability to be interested in what's happening and engage the process. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Where are some of the areas where hypnosis really shines? Maybe where you find, and I, of course, I want to get into your journey and kind of how you came to this. Talk about sure, the difference sure. between, you know, um, somebody doing psychotherapy and somebody doing hi- hypnosis. What's what's the difference? And are they is there overlap? Or are people doing both? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so where does it really shine? Where do you find it stands out and, and can offer something to people? Well, I think it shines in in a lot of areas, especially with regard to habits, being able to increase self-control, and also being able to resolve inner conflicts. Okay. And that that spans, you know, the gamut of a lot of, you know, different techniques, different uh methods. So, you know, what is it that people know hypnosis for, first of all? Okay, because that's that's where we start, is that, you know, people know hypnosis for really three things stopping smoking, losing weight, and reducing stress. So mm-hmm. when people think about hypnosis, typically they think about one of those three or you know, some combination of them. And they will also think about maybe they heard about someone who also used it for some other application. Okay. And so hypnosis does work well to help people to change habits, to be able to break patterns, to be able to, um, you know, have the mindset components of a weight reduction program. You know, uh, it's like we had one person who came into a uh, group hypnosis session and actually believed they were going to lose 20 pounds in the session itself. Like they were going to walk out 20 pounds lighter. And yeah, sorry. I mean, we can do a lot of things, but. That, not yet, right? So <laughs> that's, you know, that, that's one of the, one of the things, but I think there's a lot of other areas. So <clears throat> helping person release their fears, for example, mm-hmm. you know, various types of fears, um, you know, fear of flying, a fear of, um, you know, going over bridges, mm-hmm. you know, a fear of public speaking, right? Um, so, you know, there was a study that was done, uh, in public speaking anxiety that found that, in, in comparing hypnosis to cognitive behavioral therapy, they found that hypnosis plus CBT was actually better than CBT alone, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it can serve as an enhancement, you know, to some of these things. Um, and, you know, some other areas like pain management, you know, pain relief, helping right. a person to be able to do that. Um, you know, those are some of the, those are some of the areas, but there are just so many applications because we're really talking about getting into a person's and helping a person to navigate through their subconscious minds and right. what's within the subconscious right. mind is just vast. Often we we seem to want to turn away from what's there. It's either scary or overwhelming or just, you know, unavailable, inaccessible, mm-hmm. right? So it sounds like hypnosis is one of these ways. It's a vehicle. It seems like a vehicle for people to A, get their energy moving in a hopeful direction. Maybe you've got something I can use. And so, so I, I would imagine as in any intervention, people have a bit of a, there's always a bit of a placebo effect with sort of what we might call positive projection. I, mm. I expect you can help me with this. Um, or just creating the process of opening up a person. I need help, puts me in a vulnerable position, gives me a sense that, okay, I'm, there's answers that, that I may not have that may come and you may have them. Maybe we find them together. Um, where are some areas where you find you hit a wall. What are what are some difficult areas, or you know, where it's contraindicated? I, I think the biggest places that we hit a wall is where a person has some other, you know, some other type of challenge that um, they're not necessarily willing to face, or that they don't want to face, mm-hmm. or that is, um, you know, could be just not within our purview, you know, to tell people to face that. Um, yeah. But it is. 
yeah, it's it's those it's those areas where a person really has something else going on and they basically don't want to have, you know, anything to do with it. You know, I think those yeah. I think those are the main areas where it you know, it just seems like, okay, well, there's not really that much that can be done with this. Um, you know, there are some medical, you know, issues and uh, hypnosis is actually has quite a few medical applications. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there are some things in which it's just like, well, yeah, like I know that this can do a lot of things, but it can't go and rebuild the structure of your you know, your nerves or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, there, there, there are limitations, you know, that, of what can be done. You yeah. know, um, we talk about hypnosis within sports, you know, um, can hypnosis make you run, you know, for longer periods of time and increase your endurance? The answer is yes. Okay. Can it turn someone who's, you know, never exercised before into a world-class sprinter? Um, yes. If they go and, uh, you know, do a ton of training and dish conditioning for like, you know, at least five years. Um, so <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. it's, it's an, it's one ingredient. It's, it's one ingredient. It's yeah. a piece of, of the puzzle. And, and you're, you're touching on something important. I want to speak to Taylor, have you speak about this, which is mm-hmm. the, the therapy component, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you're not a therapist. You're, you're a, you're a hypnotist and a coach. Um, mm-hmm. so tell me about the difference. What's, what's different? Um, well, the difference between, you know, first of all, it's a scope of practice, you know, thing is that hypnotists within our scope of practice work with everyday people with everyday problems. And so as a result, you know, the way that I understand it, there's a whole legal thing, you know, about it. I'm not a lawyer, so no one should take my, uh, you know, with regard to that. Um, but, you know, there's, there are diagnosable issues. Right. Um, of things that are, you know, within the scope of whatever the DSM has, um, you know, said as a diagnosis. And there are things which are, you know, moderate to severe diagnoses. And largely we're not working with those independently. You know, we're not, um, doing, you know, practicing, uh, you know, independently, that type of thing. Um, you know, the difference functionally between the two is that a lot of times when people go in for therapy, I mean, you know, there's different, aspects, different methods of therapy, first of all, you know, so I think that hypnosis does bridge the, it does get very close to some things. Like when you talk about IFS or you talk about, um, you know, act, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, we talk about, okay, well, what's the difference between hypnosis and mindfulness? Yeah. Right. Which is where that, when, when we're talking about that idea that hypnosis plus CBT, right, because CBT has a mindfulness component to it. So, okay. Getting you to pay attention more clearly and more consistently. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so what is it then that hypnosis offers that is different from that? Um, and, you know, this additive to it. And mm-hmm. a lot of people do use, a lot of therapists use hypnosis as an adjunct to therapy. I think the, the big difference, um, functionally, now we can talk about theoretically, but I think functionally with it, you don't have as many therapists who do hypnosis full time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, in fact, I think a lot of times when clients call and they're like, okay, well, I want a therapist who does hypnosis, you know, they're, they're not necessarily considering the level of training in hypnosis specifically because right. hypnosis is one thing. Therapy is another skill set. Therapists mm-hmm. can learn hypnosis. They can learn to do it very, very well. Um, you know, but is it, you know, is it a practice training, right? So that's, that's something which yeah. I think is important to it. Yeah. How much um, experience do they have? How dedicated are they to this practice? 
Exactly. Because there's exactly. complexities, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And we, maybe we can begin to get into that. But um, tell me about your experience. Where did you start and where did you have this desire to learn this? For me, you know, I started when I was really young. And I started out of a curiosity of the mind. You know, I started because I was just really interested in the mind. I was interested in um, psychology at the time, um, you know, and this became just another, you know, uh, an, another way to explore that really. It was like, okay, well, here is this way that you can enact, um, you can give a suggestion and you get to see the results very quickly. You get to see, okay, this is how it is working within people. And initially, you know, when I did it, a lot of it was for fun. It was for entertainment. It was just for, you know, okay, this is, this is just interesting because again, I was 16 years old, right? You have to put this in perspective. Like 16 <laughs> year olds do don't think tricks. to themselves. <laughs> yeah, effectively, right? They, they don't think to themselves and say, well, oh yeah, now I'm going to go and like change the world with this necessarily. Right. I'm sure some people are outliers, but. You know, for me, it was that. And then once I had already become pretty proficient at it, Mm -hmm. then it was, oh, wait, I've heard that people can use this as a way of helping people to make changes in their lives, right? And that's where I started to really look into some of that at being able to explore what were the, the different things that could be done with it. And then what I found was I enjoyed that a whole lot more than the, uh, whatever I was doing before. Um, it was just a lot more interesting and a mm-hmm. lot more complex. Okay. Because this is, this is something that I think is a little bit of a misconception. People go to like a stage hypnosis show, you know, they see it for entertainment and they think because the people are doing things that are a little bit more involved that that is harder to perform as the stage hypnotist. See, a stage hypnotist is an entertainer. Right. Right. Who happens to understand a few things about hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Someone who's doing hypnosis in an office, you see, we don't have the luxury of saying, I'm going to take, you know, half of the people who ended up on the stage to begin with, send them back to the audience so that we only select the highest responders. This is how stage Mm -hmm. hypnosis shows work. Mm -hmm. Every single Mm -hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Or they screen them out in the audience and they only invite up the people who have passed some sort of, you know, test or some sort of right. suggestibility exercise. Um, we don't have the luxury. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I so mean, as a result, we the, need in to the be counseling more field, I think, run into this humbling fact, which is that our, our, the interventions that we, that we pay, you know, big bucks for in some cases, invest years of training in, uh, I'll give, you know, just use myself as an example in training in IFS, internal family systems therapy. Mm-hmm. I think the basic, I think the uh, beginning training for that is around $3,000. That's level one, you know, so that's a year long commitment. I think by the time you're done with level three, you're, you're in, you're invested. And, I, and a lot of these other trainings are similar in that you're, you're investing, you know, significant money in, in doing it. And some of the research, the most humbling research that we have to face is that there's no one intervention that people in the outcome studies of therapeutic, um, processes, people point People don't say, oh, it's because I did CBT. They, they, the outcomes are very clear that there's no one method that really has a lock on effectiveness. It's about the, the client clinician relationship, right? It's about that trust that's built and whether they feel like they're, they have a warm and supported trusting relationship with their therapist. So to me, that's humbling. We put all this focus onto and we should focus and argue about techniques and, and get clear and get sharp on those things. Um, What's the research say about hypnosis? You you alluded to some of that before. Yeah, so 
Um, with hypnosis research, you know, the first thing to understand about hypnosis research is that um, there's research that is being done in terms of certain te- certain um, applications and is hypnosis effective for those applications. And then there's research that's being done in terms of what is hypnosis and how does it actually work within the brain. And so what um, how it works within the brain is a little bit of a um, still open question because um, – researchers go back and forth on it. And to me, this is not any surprise because you have a person do something different within their minds and somehow it's all supposed to be called hypnosis. Like it's Mm -hmm. all supposed to be, this is all just hypnosis, but actually you're having them do different things. So of course, different areas of the brain are going to light up. But what you do find within, um, within hypnosis is you find changes within the central executive network, um, and within, um, also called the frontoparietal network. And you see that the default mode network is suppressed or decreased. Now, default mode network for those people who, who don't know is the part of the brain that lights up when no task is being done. So it's, it's the wakeful restingness. So a person mm-hmm. is just sitting there, but there's this activity that is going on. Okay. What else does the default mode network do? Well, whenever a person is daydreaming, mind wandering, whenever they're thinking about their past or they're planning for the future, that default mode network spins up. And what the research has found is that hypnosis has um, suppressed or decreased those default mode network responses, which also means that it is a state distinct from a resting state. So in mm. other words, there's something happening. Something's okay? happening. There's something happening different from them just like resting there with their eyes closed. Right, right. And, you know, this is some, some interesting, um, you know, research that comes through it. And there's some functional connectivity between these different networks. Um, you know, central executive ne- network, the salience network, some other, you know, aspects of, of the brain in which that's happening. And there is, um, uh, some of the more recent research has talked about the lingual gyrus in terms of visualization and that actually being perhaps one of the more um, lit up regions of the brain about that. Um, but in terms right. of applications, right? Uh, hypnosis is for a wide range of applications has been seen to be effective. So we talk about things like um, pain, for example, mm-hmm. pain relief. Okay. Anesthesia is a really well studied application of hypnosis within uh, the research literature. So when we're talking about being able to have effectiveness within um, within some, within uh, these different applications, one of them is pain. So being able to yeah. decrease pain works sometimes even better than anesthetic creams, wow. okay? Mm-hmm. Works better than some other interventions. And it actually is a great first-line intervention because why would you give someone, you know, pain medications have so many problems with them, right? You only get them for so long, you know, why not teach a person to be able to do some self-hypnosis exercises to be able to decrease their pain, okay? Hypnosis is effective for things like skin disorders, okay? Mm-hmm. Why? Decreases pain, number one, okay? And uh, decreases inflammation. So that, you know, that's been a, a research finding. <clears throat> things like IBS, Hypnosis has a pretty strong uh, sense of, okay, hypnosis can help a person with decreasing, um, you know, IBS symptoms. It can help them with self-regulation. Mm-hmm. It can help a person with, um, you know, the typical things in terms of depression, 
right? There's emerging research being done on depression. There were some problems with earlier studies, but, you know, it's, it's being done and basically it shows promise for helping people with depression, anxiety aspects. In fact, some of the research is pointing to how people with anxiety disorders or people who tend to be anxious may even be more hypnotizable than others hmm. and disorders that have anxiety features like dissociative identity disorder. Um, those types of disorders, um, actually will respond well to hypnosis, you right. know, a, a, as well. Um, so there are just a number of different applications, you know, childbirth, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of applications, you know, with regard to that, um, you know, uh, nausea and vomiting in chemotherapy, for example, it can help with hot flashes. There's, there's so many different applications and areas. And what I would say about all of this is that, you know, effectively, like what happens is hypnotists use it for these applications and then research kind of catches up and goes, oh, that's interesting. Let's do a study on that. And then by and large, what they're finding is that it's effective for, you know, a number of different uh, aspecting aspects and conditions. I mean, it sounds like Taylor, like some of the features of the, of the research you're reporting kind of fit into the research at large of the mindfulness body of literature that's mm-hmm. out there, which is, you know, we're teaching people. And I, and I spoke with Ellen Langer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's mm-hmm. the, some, some call her the mother of mindfulness at Harvard mm-hmm. university, kind of mother of positive psychology. And she studied mindfulness for more than 25 years. And she talks a lot about placebo effect. And how they take, in her case, in her studies, her career has spent time t- trying to take the sham out of the placebo effect. Just teach people how to get their body to respond, basically. Teach people to focus on where they are <laughs> and what they're doing and engage with some of these things, the signals which they may normally fear and try to get, um, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system kicked in. Um, and when that happens, when you can relax with something, with information that's coming in and begin to learn or get into a receptive learning mode, I think we know across the board that, that our, our health increases, our, our flexibility increases, mental flexibility, um, and all sorts of things in the immune system happen when we can get rid of the fight or flight uh, process. So mm-hmm. it seems to fit with so much of what you're saying. Now you're also speaking about performance. You know, pain is one thing. Well, pain mm-hmm. is related to performance, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. let's talk about performance. You mentioned public speaking. Um, so again, anything tied into anxiety, you're going to provide a vehicle for someone to, to focus on that. Um, what are some common areas in, in sports that you, that you treat and where, where have you seen some success there? Um, yeah, so various different sports and really it, it's not so much dependent on the sport so much as it is. Um, well, I'm sure there, I'm sure there are some, some sports which aren't, uh, necessarily physically related, but it's not so much dependent on, you know, which sport it is. Um, sure. but what are, you know, what are the aspects that can be improved? So really when we're talking about sports, we're talking about, okay, it's a person's conditioning, their, you know, skills related to that sport they've trained. And then this whole, mm-hmm mental piece. Okay. So it's, it's that idea that, you know, the quote of golf is played on a five and a half inch course. It's the space between your ears, right? (laughs) Right. So that's the inner game of golf. Yeah. And I've worked a lot with golfers. Um, and part of that is just because golfers know about hypnosis. Mm. Okay. You know, when, when you talk about, you know, the, some of the famous golfers, pretty much all of them know 
they've at least know about hypnosis and a lot of them have undergone it themselves in mm-hmm. terms of using that as a performance enhancer, you know, for their, right. for their game. Um, right. but it can happen in just so many other, so many other sports, you know, I've worked with, you know, basketball and baseball and, you know, um, running, competitive running, you know, weightlifting, um, you know, tennis, skeet shooting, you know, there's just so many different, uh, so many different areas. I had asked you to consider possibly helping my tennis game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've got a match in, in about an hour and 20 minutes this afternoon. So, you know, we could talk about that a little bit. How would you, how would you approach this? I mean, you know, I I assume somebody would be coming to you and, and saying, Taylor, you know, I'm struggling at this. I used to be good at it or I want to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you, what would you ask me or what would you want to know about, about tennis or for my relationship to that? Sure. I mean, you know, what, what areas of your game right now are you finding work really well for you? What do you feel like are some of your strengths? What do you feel like are the, the areas that are, um, you know, working, uh, working pretty strongly? Um, and yeah. you know, what might other people also tell you? you know, or the strong yeah, right. areas. Right. And then what right. are the places where you feel like, you know, could be improved or could be, you know, boosted? And especially if there is something within that, that you kind of know yourself, oh yeah, like that's where I think my mental side is yeah. uh, playing a role. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of to tip, tip my hand here. That's probably where I would ask for your help. Mm-hmm. So, so I might be sort of an easy mark on this. I'm not sure. Because okay. I would okay. say, I would say, well, look, so my, I'm just learning. I, I just began playing tennis during the pandemic. Great sport, by the way, for anybody mm-hmm. who's interested in just getting activity. Um, great pandemic always, sport. Great pandemic yeah. sport. Yeah. Socially just, distanced. Still do it socially distanced most of the time. Um, so I just started learning it and, you know, I'm pretty athletic. So I've picked it up and I'm already now in a league and playing, playing matches. And you know, I've, I've nothing to brag about, but I feel like, you know, I can, I can hold my own there with, with, um, amateur intermediate tennis players. Um, what I notice is, is that, um, I, I've in sports, I've never had sort of the, what I'd call the killer instinct, you know, my, as far as sort of like wanting to win and being focused on that's why I'm here. Often I, I get, I mean, and I'm not complaining about this. I have, I get a lot of enjoyment from just participating, in other mm-hmm. words. But when it comes to the times when I am keeping score, and golf is one of those sports where it's hard not to keep score. Some guys will say, eh, yeah, I just play for fun. That's total bullshit. <laughs> like, we want a better score, I think, most of the time. So there's times when I obviously want to, to pay attention to my score or I'm playing with my friends and want to not always be the one that loses. Um, so in part, it is that my, I'm, I'm aware of that mindset and, and particularly aware of, you know, for example, I was playing doubles, uh, last week and I think we lost, we lost probably four games in a row. And then it's so hard once you're down, um, to, to envision like you're going to somehow pull back or once you're down an entire set that you're going to, you're going to pull back. And so that's where I find myself like in the hole. Well, I, I think we can do, we can do a session on this. Um, we can, we can help you through it. Um, you know, past today, there's some, uh, uh, I'm sure you can go and talk to some, some people about some of the other <laughs> kind of aspects of this. As we're <laughs> right. Exactly. You can't help me with everything. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, we can, uh, let's, let's, let's do something here, you know, with this okay. and kind of, kind of do it, you know, and, uh, you know, what I really want to do, you know, today is kind of guide you through just, 
you know, kind of a short, simple relaxation and give you some really strong, powerful suggestions, you know, to orient your mind, you know, toward that. Um, sure. you know, in, in taking all of the suggestions and really creating something, you know, within, within your mind with everything in which I'm saying and suggesting. Sure. So, you know, um, you know, you're not a zombie when you're hypnotized. You know, the most important thing is just to follow all the instructions and, you know, you'll find that you'll be doing fine. Sure. Sounds Sound good. good. Please take the time now to subscribe to The Soul of Life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. That's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two. Great. So just go ahead and taking a nice long deep breath in, having the hands and legs uncrossed, thumbs not touching each other. Yeah. Taking a nice long deep breath in again, filling up the lungs. And then just holding at the top for a mental count of three. And then as you just exhale with a sigh, closing the eyelids down, that's it. And already you can feel yourself relaxing. Just letting go. Letting every muscle begin to become limp and loose and relaxed. Feeling every part of you just melting down, letting go of any stress, any strain, any tension of the day could just begin to fade away now as the mind can begin to relax easily and gently into a place of calmness and into a deep state of peace. And now placing all of your awareness, Placing all of your awareness on relaxing the eyelid muscles, letting all of the many muscles in and around the eyelids to now turn loose, turn limp, and completely and totally relaxed, letting them now become so limp, so loose, so completely and deeply relaxed to the point where they just won't work. And when you know you've got them that deeply relaxed, hold on to that relaxation and give them a nice good test. Make sure they're so relaxed that they just won't work. Give them a nice good test to satisfy yourself. That's it. And then just stop testing, stop trying, and just go even deeper and deeper within. More and more comfortable, more calm, more peaceful and safe. With every breath in and with every gentle breath out, you're finding yourself relaxing more and more completely, more and more deeply, noticing all of the muscles of the forehead can become cool and relaxed, noticing all of the facial muscles and tendons could turn loose. Imagine the possibility of erasing all of the stress releasing all of the strain and dissipating the confusion. It was only moments ago that we began and already you can feel yourself drifting down deeper and feeling a deeper state of relaxation. Noticing the mind begins to drift. The conscious mind can relax away as the subconscious mind comes to the surface. And you're Conscious mind won't mind relaxing away while the subconscious mind comes to the surface because you can find that your mind can work with you to now assist you in creating the changes you'd like for 
yourself and your life and for your tennis game. And now you can continue to deepen this relaxation much more. And in a moment, I'm going to be counting from 10 down to 1. And as I do, I'd like for you to imagine or visualize, whichever is easiest for you, a 10-story office building late at night. And imagine there are lights on each one of those 10 floors. And then as I begin to count from 10 down to 1 with every number that I say, that becomes a signal for you to double your relaxation. And you'll find the light that is on that particular floor will go off and you'll relax that much deeper. So we begin now with the number 10. Relaxing now further and further down. The mind beginning to drift and dream. Nine. Deeper and deeper. More and more at ease. More comfortable and relaxed now. Eight. Comfortable, calm and peaceful. Seven. Down further now. Six. More and more. Deeply relaxed as any part of the body that still holds any sort of tension or stress can just begin to relax now. Five. As if imagining thousands of little micro hands just massaging those areas. Feels good to do that. Four, quadrupling this relaxation. More and more relaxed, deeper and deeper. Three, at ease now. Two, almost all the way down deep. And one. Very deep, very calm, very comfortable. And as you continue to sink down further and further, now your mind is very receptive and open to the beneficial suggestions that I'm going to give you. You're going to find that you can take the suggestions that work for you now and begin to apply them in your life and to your game to assist you fully in getting the results and changes that you'd like. And so now as you continue to drift down further and further, allowing your mind to begin to let go, you notice now that as a result of this deep hypnotic rest, you are feeling physically stronger and fitter than before, emotionally much calmer, more contented, more placid, more tranquil. You feel yourself more and more balanced, more at ease, and more peaceful. And you feel within yourself the free flow of energy that can begin within you and now start to become stronger. Because even as you continue to relax, you find that there is a strong energy and urge, a desire to make it happen and to win at the game of tennis. You find from this moment onward, whenever you step foot on any tennis court, you feel completely at ease, 
comfortable, confident, and relaxed, just as if you were right at home. But you do find now that there is an urge, a need within you to succeed and to win. You find that since you are prepared both physically and now mentally to play wonderfully, you feel waves of confidence flowing through you. And you let these feelings continue to grow inside of you whenever you're on the court. You love playing the game of tennis and you find it's one of those days that the weather is just right. You find that immediately upon stepping onto the court, you feel very relaxed and peaceful. But you find that as you begin the game, whatever it is about the game, perhaps it's initiating a serve, perhaps it's being able to return a rally, you're going to find that whatever it is that initiates the game fully for you, that you then step into a zone of focus. And as that zone of focus begins, now you find that the energy, the intention to win becomes within you very strong. You find that this winning is not winning against the other person. Instead, it is simply playing the best game of tennis that you can. You find that you let yourself relax into your game giving yourself permission now to always play in the moment and letting the best abilities to flow out of you. Each time that you step forward in a tennis court, you find that those wonderful abilities of success, that wonderful feeling of personal confidence now flows through you. And you imagine or visualize winning. In fact, you expect to win. You expect to win and you find that if for any reason it feels like the game isn't going exactly in your favor, you find that immediately that need, that urge to win just becomes stronger. You find that this is a personal feeling, a personal wishing to conquer, a wishing to be able to accomplish those goals and successes within you. And you can allow this to happen. You allow the wonderful, relaxed, deep, calm state that you're now in to support you in this because as you arrive at the tennis courts relaxed, as you find yourself truly enjoying the game, you're going to find your game only becomes better. Now, in a moment, I'm going to be counting from one to three as I do all of these suggestions that you've received and heard now sink into your mind and become a part of the permanent programming of your mind. They begin to work with you and for you to assist you to assist you within your life, to assist you within your game. And you're going to notice benefits of this that even might be things that you didn't expect. Because beginning on the number one now, each and every suggestion now seals in deeply inside your mind. All the positive ideas begin to seal in completely and totally. And you feel good from head to toe on the number two. The eyes beneath your eyelids are clear and relaxed. You feel just as though they've been bathed in a clear mountain stream of water. You feel good from head to toe. On the next count, your eyelids opening, feeling good, feeling wonderful, head clear, eyes clear, feeling good in every way, mind relaxed and in the flow. And three, eyelids open now, feeling good. Noticing how good you feel. Feeling good, aren't you? Hmm. Wow. I got to say, there's a lot that happened there. Wow. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like for you? Wow. Um, pretty intense. You know, it was pretty intense. I, I could, I could feel the deepening in, in, um, 
the the relaxing was was like a meditation for me and and what I wasn't used to uh it was was I think surprised to find really useful was the the persistence your persistence and and your dedication to directing where I was going and where we were going together mm-hmm. um it's it's it felt in very contrast to a lot of meditation or some of the IFS work, which is very um, kind of proxy based. It's sort of like it's uh, negotiated. Each turn is very negotiated by the interaction. Um, so this felt really interesting. It was kind of going in a straight line. Yes, yes. no deviation. <laughs> <laughs> which I felt I felt by the end very full and very clear and. Um, Comfortable, more powerful, um, more awake, and yeah, I was right, right with you the whole time. So what's your take on the difference between something like what Dick Schwartz and many of us do in IFS therapy? Well, people always ask, "What's the difference between hypnosis and meditation?" Yeah, okay, and it's well, I can get into very you know deep states when I meditate. I can get into very deep states when I am hypnotized. What's kind of the difference between the two? And one of the main differences. Um, and that for that matter, you know, what's the difference between hypnosis and something like auto suggestion or affirmation or, mm-hmm. you know, someone giving themselves suggestions? Yeah. Okay. Um, like saying some affirmation in a particular state. What's the difference? Mantras. Yeah. Mantras. Yeah. Um, the difference is that it's other directed. So, you know, in, in that sense, that hypnosis is very directed by something. Um, you know, by someone else that is that is guiding. Good. It. I mean, I, I wish you could hypnotize our entire country, Taylor. I think that would be another episode we could do is somehow finding a well, collective we'll, way. We're going to work on that. Yeah, <laughs> you come up yeah, with we're... something for that, please. <laughs> I think we could all use a little bit of uh, deepening our flow state, right? Um, mm-hmm. And getting more in the zone and believing more in ourselves. So, Taylor Sherman, nice to see you, and thanks for the tip. I'll let you know how the match goes today. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, Keith. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to The Soul of Life. This is Keith Miller. Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode wherever you're listening so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay. So... You can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you. I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrum. All right, I will go.